0: I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boon peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples connected to each of the hundreds of countries around so-called Australia. I acknowledge and respect their living connection to country, relationship with the land and all living things, extending back to tens of thousands of years. I also acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of Rose Tinted Law and your host. RTL is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. Before I introduce today's guest, let me first tell you a little story about how this podcast has come into being. Rose Tinted Law was was born in early 2021 as my passion project while I was on parental leave. It was initially an Instagram account where I just posted inspirational career advice and snapshot videos of conversations with my nearest and dearest law friends. However, I quickly realized that this format did not do justice to the conversations that I was having. So what I did was I actually just repurposed these interviews and then used that to launch RTL the podcast in July 2020. And up until this point, all the guests have been my closest friends. And to be quite honest, I wasn't really sure how the podcast would be received or who would notice or who would even want to get involved. I thought I might even run out of people to interview because hello, imposter syndrome and (laughs) self-doubt. Anyway, I was really quite chuffed when this next guest reached out to me on LinkedIn and invited himself. This is because he's a hotshot in-house lawyer with huge amount of social influence with thousands of followers and many, many industry awards. He's also a public speaking coach with his own podcast. He runs TEDx Hobart. He's on the board of directors for the Australian Corporate Counsel Association. Do you know who I'm talking about? (laughs) This week, I'm sitting down to have an honest conversation with the inimitable Theo Capodistrius. It turns out that Theo and I have quite a lot in common. One big thing that we have really bonded over is the challenge of pursuing a portfolio career. Now, you may or may not be familiar with this term portfolio career. And to be honest, it's only recently entered my vernacular as well. Let me tell you a little bit about portfolio careers. Basically, in traditional careers, you have one job with one source of income, you work for someone else, usually office based, and you do the same types of things day to day. It's just one normal job, like what most people have. On the other hand, with a portfolio career, you may have multiple roles and be involved in various organizations and projects and wear multiple different hats. The other roles may or may not be paid or volunteer based and you may have multiple sources of income. So with a portfolio career you will work flexibly and you might work for yourself as well as multiple other parties. And really every day is different what I love about this approach is that you're continually building new skills and interests and dealing with a variety of different stakeholders and venturing outside your comfort zone the challenge with taking such an approach to your career is that while it can be really exciting and fulfilling it can also be really hard and stressful and lonely sometimes because there isn't really anyone else doing anything quite like you are and you might actually be the first person to be doing that thing Anyway, it turns out that Theo and I have really bonded over our shared passions for pursuing a portfolio legal career. In this honest conversation, we talk about how he does it all. I ask him all about his different in-house legal roles and what he actually did at each organisation from University of Tasmania to the Global Tech Company to his role now at Tourism Tasmania. We also talk about overcoming imposter syndrome and I ask for his advice on how we can all improve our public speaking skills and improve our confidence in delivering excellent presentations. I really love this conversation, guys. We share so many anecdotes and great advice. And in hindsight, I realized this was the first conversation between two people who are now quite good friends. Thank you so much, Theo, for reaching out to me and thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities of where your legal career may take you. This episode of Rose Tinted Law is proudly brought to you by Clarence. For more than 25 years, Clarence has built a reputation for the unique and sophisticated offices, ideally located in the legal precincts of Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney. But what truly sets Clarence apart is their member services. To find out why over 500 legal practices call Clarence home, you can check out their extremely workable membership options at clarenceprofessionalgroup.com.au. Hello, welcome, Theo Cap.
1: Hello, it's great to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you. You're like a legit law influencer with all of your thousands and thousands of followers and you are also the ultimate millennial with the ultimate like slashy. You're an in-house lawyer slash podcaster slash TEDx director and host so I'm really looking forward to talking to you and figuring out how you do it all and how you have created this incredible career for yourself.
1: Oh I'm excited to share some nuggets of knowledge
0: hopefully. (laughs) So going back to the beginning when did you decide that you wanted to study law? I think
1: I was in grade 10 at the time and it was at that point where you like you school. We you get to that pointy end of school and you think, oh, what am I going to do now? I don't know. And I thought, what is something that combines a lot of the interests that I'm into? And I thought the things I love were English and being able to like put stuff together in words. I love drama and performance, and I really love problem solving. I thought, what are all the things that kind of tick that box? And law made sense. Law made a lot of sense and I thought, well, there's so many benefits of a legal profession and that is you get to help people, there's good money sometimes and, you know, hopefully like really exciting opportunities. So I thought, let's go down that path. Let's let's make law the thing.
0: Did you grow up in Hobart? I did. And you stayed there your whole career as well?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's
0: great. Did you do seasonal clerkships or do they exist?
1: They do. So I applied for all the big national ones. You know, I think I applied for 50 and I got knocked back from all of them because I wasn't the straight HD student. I was the credit distinction, worked a job, did other activities. I kinda yeah. lived a proper life. Um yeah, I like, got to hang out, be social. So I was immortals. <laughs> the normal people. Yeah. The normal people. But um I was fortunate in getting a couple of smaller Tasmanian clerkships. So one at a firm up in Monceston two weeks. And one in a firm down here for one week, uh, not long after that. And both are really fun. I got to do some exciting things, learn from some cool people and a feel for the legal profession down here and yeah funny enough i didn't end up going into the firm life i i decided to diverge completely and move in-house and that's been my whole career
0: i love that i'm very intrigued by anyone who takes the unconventional path and certainly going straight from university into in-house is Mm. against conventional wisdom you've done it extremely well how did you transition from being a student at the University of Tasmania to landing as a lawyer in their in-house legal department?
1: I think I was more strategic than I realised to get that job. I was thinking back, like, how did I actually get it? And I remember sending an email to the General Counsel in April of 2014. So I was in my early days of the legal practice course, so the Graduate Diploma of Legal Practice thing. And I sent her an email and I said, look, I'm really interested in the opportunity to work somewhere like the university, having been a student there for years and Being interested in the variety of work that you would do, I'd I'd love to work there. And she responded back and said, look, we don't have an opportunity at the moment, but keep a look out because we are likely to have an opportunity coming up later in the year. And I thought, hmm. Interesting. So then it comes to the pointy end. I finished my the legal practice course. I then got to the end, um, was admitted, didn't have a job. But not long after that, I think weeks after that, I saw an advertisement pop up in our local paper on a Saturday, and I saw it lawyer at University of Tasmania, and I thought, huh, maybe this is the opportunity for me. And I read through the PD and the ad, and I thought, I actually think this is aimed at someone quite junior. So I. Did the thing. Applied, cover letter, um, selection criteria, invited me for an interview, smashed that and then got the job.
0: Well done. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: You know what I think that story tells me is that you were a hustler. Mm-hmm. You have to hustle to create all your, these opportunities and it's not luck. It's sending the email. It's backing yourself and I'm a big believer that you've got to create your own luck and I think that's awesome that you've done it in that way. What kind of work did you do at the university in-house?
1: It was, I think, the best environment to figure out what you like and what you don't like because universities are a giant, a giant business with so many different parts. So, I would do your commercial contracting as any in-house lawyer does. I worked heavily in the the research management space. So, there'd be academics who would receive funding from various organizations or departments. There'd be collaborations between different universities or other research institutes internationally as well. I'd look at intellectual property work, licensing, commercialization, a lot of privacy work, a lot of really interesting compliance projects, medicinal cannabis, drones, clinical trials and clinical trial governance. Cool. Um, Yeah, property, construction work, dispute resolution, employment, you name it. The
0: legal team.
1: Ah, uh, so when I started, I think we were about seven, and then we grew to nine when I left. And then we also combined with risk audit, compliance, and crisis management as well. So it became a bigger function, oh, and governance. So yeah, it was an interesting, wild place to work.
0: And what an incredibly steep learning curve for your first role. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. When did you knew it was time to move on, and what kept you in the in-house space?
1: I think there were a few things that really indicated to me that it was time to go because I'd been there for at that like nearly six years, nearly six years, and I thought, you know, for me, I'm not sure I'm actually going to progress. So my pay hadn't moved for a number of years. I wasn't getting the support to progress forward. There was always that. There's no budget. There's no budget. We can't move you up. And then I think I just had a bit of a deep conversation with my manager who. I think actually offended me a little bit. And I said, I'm not happy. I'm not seeing myself progress and move. Like I'm doing the work of someone who's at a senior level, but I'm not being treated like that. I came in as a graduate and I've been looked at as a graduate, yet I'm working on projects that are valued at over $300 million (laughs) by myself. And yet you think it's fine to just keep me in this little box. So I said, you know what, I don't think this is really the environment for me anymore. I need, to, I need to grow. So two weeks after that conversation, I was offered a job as the first general counsel for a global technology company that was setting up in Hobart.
0: Fabulous.
1: Become intentional with your thinking and I managed to just find something else. So, yeah.
0: So how did you go being the sole GC for a tech company?
1: Now that in itself is a whole other learning curve. <laughs> I did a lot of preparing it to begin with. So I thought, okay, what is it that, you know, I'm going to have to do when I get in there? I'm going to have to set up everything. I was really lucky. So just before I left the university, I had already enrolled myself into the Association of Corporate Counsel in-house counsel certification course, which is the globally recognized course for what the standard should be for an in-house lawyer. And I learned so many things in those I think it was two weeks or three weeks of doing that course that I literally just finished before I started the next job. Like (laughs) like, how to do like, oh, I was like, yes, (laughs) perfect. You know, learning things like doing a legal risk assessment and understanding the entire environment of the organization, setting up a compliance plan and doing all of these really important things. That got me ready for going into not only, I guess, an Australian company, but also a global operation and figuring that out. And, Honestly, I couldn't have asked for a more amazing and exciting experience for someone at the time who was 29.
0: Wow. And how old are you now?
1: Oh, I just turned 32.
0: Oh, I'm 35. So you're a free <laughs> chicken.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a baby. But yeah, I think these are opportunities that yeah, I was just really fortunate to to grab and take hold of and learn from. I've been really fortunate to get into an environment where I, I've been able to sort of craft my own space. Mm -hmm. And I've loved that opportunity.
0: That's good. So Mm. what do you do today?
1: So now I am the legal and commercial manager at Tourism Tasmania, which is a statutory authority of the Tasmanian government. So I'm exploring different spaces. I thought universities and education sector is fun. The tech space was cool. But, you know, let's try something a bit different. So now I get to manage the legal and commercial and compliance functions of a Agency of Government,
0: which is really cool. Mm, tourism in Tasmania is really having a moment as well. It's it becoming is. more and more popular and I mean, I've been there many times. So ah. yeah, it's becoming cool, isn't it?
1: It is cool. So we're in a really fortunate place that you know, travel is up. Our sector down here, the tourism sector is booming and there's so many awesome opportunities within the industry. So we get to promote the wonderful things that is happening you know, is happening from an industry perspective, an event perspective, and we get, you know, some really interesting and exciting partnerships with all sorts of other things, other networks and organisations that, you know, want to be part of this. Early in the year, we had a partnership with MasterChef, and I got to work on, you know, those aspects of, well, what is MasterChef in Tasmania going to look like?
0: They were great episodes. I loved them. Yeah, so, so what good. what was your involvement in that?
1: Oh, you know, just the fun commercial, contractual negotiations, and doing a bit of risk assessment and helping out our team in terms of how do we scope out locations. Andy
0: might get a food that's too spicy.
1: (laughs) Oh, he, he can deal with it, I'm sure.
0: Oh, that's so great. That's fun.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We're talking about your legal career. It would be remiss of me not to ask you about how the many, many, many awards that you have won came about. You've mentioned that you're very strategic. And so what I wanted to ask you is, did you actively set out to win awards? Were you deliberate with cultivating that? How did it come about once you did it? Were you on a roll?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mm. The very, very, very first legal award I was nominated for came from some students I was mentoring. So beautiful. I know it was really nice. So they, they said, oh, you know, you're awesome. I think you should be recognized as in-house lawyer of the year. And I thought, well, that would be cool. So they nominated me and they said, well, you've got to answer some questions, part of the usual nomination process. So I you know, did a bit of that and then made it to the Finalist. I was a finalist, which was great. Didn't win that one. Doesn't matter. It was no. fine. But then after that, I, I got a bit of a taste from
0: your peers to even be nominated and then be a finalist. I was like, yeah. I think that's love. So lovely. It I is mean, lovely. And wins, right? But yeah, but you
1: know, even that experience because I went to the awards and I met the other finalists and a lot of us in our category became friends, which in itself is really yeah. nice. I think two out of the five, like I still talk to today, and that was what seven years ago now something crazy like that so being able to develop those connections is awesome i guess in terms of the the strategy piece once i got a little bit of a taste i thought maybe i could try for some other ones and then i think it was you know two years later i um nominated for the 30 under 30 and then won that one then i did it again the next year and won it again and then later that year winning a corporate council award and then it just kind of kept rolling And I just thought this is kind of nice. It's good profile building. It's really, I think, important recognition because so much of the work that in-house lawyers do and people in Tasmania Mm. do gets forgotten about. You don't see Tasmanians, you don't see in-house lawyers in a lot of this stuff. So I like to fly the flag, essentially. I like to represent.
0: I actually think that that's maybe a benefit of working in smaller teams is that you've got the ability to really flex Mm. and – take more of a leadership role and yes be thrown in the deep end but I'm a big believer if you the option is sink or swim you're going to swim which you obviously have done numerous times but then having all of that exposure to that responsibility and you know that high level of legal work so early on has obviously equipped you incredibly well throughout mm. your career and you know get you these industry accolades which is so nice if you even if you're not getting it from within your own organization or if the you know it's a bit lost in translation or something that other recognition exists
1: yeah yeah completely I think it's one of those things that sometimes when you're in an organization there's so much of the doing that just keeps happening your peers don't necessarily recognize how much work might go into something because as soon as you've done one thing you go into the next it's just mm-hmm. a Continual process, whereas the, I guess, industry accolades are a time where you can stop and reflect and actually articulate to other people the stuff that you've done, how Mm. great or big of an achievement some of those things really are. And then to get that recognised by a panel of judges who are, you know, industry leaders is really 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 cool mm. and even if it is just making it to the the shortlist of the finalist you know you are in the top five or ten mm. in australia in that category mm. which is huge
0: yeah i had that t- this time last year when i was nominated for thought leader of the year i didn't consider mm. myself a thought leader someone one of my peers nominated me i was like oh i sat down i did the application and i was like oh i've done great stuff and then since then i've been like What is thought leadership? What am I doing? What are we using our privilege for and our voices for and our knowledge and who are we sharing that with? That is a great source of like introspection as well and reflection on what your contributions are to the profession at large. I really love how Theo just backs himself and believes in himself and puts himself out there and has so much confidence in just doing it all. Now, in true millennial fashion, Theo also runs a public speaking coaching consultancy called Craft Messages That Matter. In the second half of this conversation, we take a deep dive into how to overcome our fears and craft a message that matters. We discuss all things public speaking and I share an anecdote of my my absolute worst public speaking event in Melbourne and how I actually use this as motivation to improve my skills in that area rather than crawling in a hole and dying, which is what I wanted to do. (laughs) We also talk about tall poppy syndrome and receiving constructive feedback and share loads of personal anecdotes and advice. So stay tuned. I know you're going to love the second part of this conversation. Are you a legal professional looking for the perfect space to meet with clients, have a beautiful space to work in uninterrupted, and have access to a range of services that will help set you apart from the rest? Then our sponsor, Clarence Workplaces, is for you. Clarence is well known for their unique and sophisticated offices, ideally located in the legal precincts of Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney. But what truly sets Clarence apart is their member services. Their on-site member services teams are dedicated to help build and grow your business from welcoming you and your clients to supporting your business operations through IT, marketing, and paralegal services. The Clarence team can assist you where and when you need it, helping you focus on what you're good at. To find out more about the extremely workable membership options, ranging from serviced offices to co-working spaces and meeting rooms and virtual offices, head to clarenceprofessionalgroup.com.au. The other aspect that I want to talk about is all of the work that you do outside of your legal practice in the relation to public speaking and building the confidence of others. What are the other things that you do, Theo, outside of (laughs) your very, very successful in-house legal career?
1: So I run a little business. I run a little business as a speaker, trainer, and public speaking and communications coach. Um, And anyone listening can check that out on my website www.theocap.com.au, and my entire goal for that is to help people to speak up show up and make an impact with their voice and with their words because so often people don't realize how important it is to be able to articulate your thoughts articulate what you're thinking and your work in a way that is understandable for other people that can be recognized by other people and People don't know how to necessarily do that. They mm. don't know how to get up in a meeting and raise their voice. They feel uncomfortable about standing up in front of the room to, to share their thoughts. And I've been in that position before. I felt like that.
0: Are you a natural born public speaker or is it something that you've learned?
1: It is something that you learn. I think everyone can learn it as well. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, everyone has the ability to be an amazing speaker. I mean, through my work that I've done coaching people, I've seen people who are so uncomfortable to voice up turn into completely confident people. Powerful people who know how to structure a presentation, who know how mm-hmm. to articulate something and communicate it in a way that is understandable for their particular audience, which I love. I love getting, like hearing from people who have um, done some work with me to say, oh my gosh, guess what happened? And yeah. then they tell me this amazing story and it just makes me really happy.
0: Yes. I wish I had your podcast many years ago. I'm not a natural public speaker. I have one example in mind when I first got to Melbourne and I did the worst, worst, worst speech or talk at an event with a lot of people I didn't know who I now know really well. I wanted to crawl in a hole and die. (laughs) I was so mortified. I just thought, no, I need to get better at this. And so then I have actually lent in to developing those skills over and over and over again from, you know, lecturing at a university to, running workshops to now having my own podcast to having multiple teaching jobs. It's hard, but it's such a good skill. And I think there's so much that you can do before you get up in front of people. And that's what I've realized. So what's your advice to people who think I can't do that or I'm going to be shit or I dread it, I hate it. It's my worst nightmare is to to speak in front of other people. How can we prepare before we get up there? This so, advice I wish I had
1: <laughs> <there's> <laughs> a six few years things. ago. <laughs> yeah, there's a few things you can do. There's a few things you can absolutely do. The first is convincing yourself that you're actually really excited, not scared. So the body interprets excitement and fear the same way. It reacts the same way. So if you tell yourself, no, no, I'm not scared. I am so excited for this opportunity.
0: Oh my God, I love
1: that. Yeah, and you just keep telling yourself that. You just keep telling yourself that, like, I am excited. I'm actually really excited. Then you think you're excited, and then suddenly you use that energy when you're on stage. Yes. You use the adrenaline. the nervous
0: energy is necessary. It's necessary to get that excitement. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. And that's what people find engaging as well. But it is like a fine line, isn't it? Actually, you're saying it's the same thing, the nervous energy, the exciting energy, and that's what I bring now. I think I must have worked that the hard way or done it subconsciously because now people say that's what they're attracted to. Mm. But anyway, (laughs) that's Mm. so good. Okay, what else? And
1: then, you know, before you get onto a stage, you just got a lot of energy you need to release. Do a little run. Star jumps, jumping up and down, like expelling that energy is actually really good because it helps calm you down. And then once you do those activities, doing some deep, Breathing. So, box breathing is one of the most...
0: I love box breathing.
1: Right? It's so My good. My favorite. Yeah. Yeah, you do that, you know, four or five times, just centers yourself and you can be really focused and ready to go. But I think the ultimate thing that people can do to make sure that they are comfortable and ready is to practice, 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 practice. And I know we say this all the time, but being prepared is going to make you comfortable and confident when you go on to stage and Mm. one of the things that i teach people and i actually think i have a free guide about this as well is if you have a structure for your presentation that works you can actually memorize a lot of how that works in Mm. your head and then if you already know where things sit it'll help flow really easily and then you become comfortable with it because you know what's coming next So, I always recommend to people, you know, if it's a 30-minute presentation or a 45-minute presentation, you have three main points. But for each of those points, you have to appeal to people that are left brain and right brain. So, you need to attract the people that love facts, figures, statistics. But you need to appeal to the people that love the pictures, the videos, the stories. (laughs) So, for each main point, you hit on all of those aspects – and that's point done.
0: You're a really strategic thinker, Theo. I love yeah. these.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like that's the thing. If you if you break everything down, like mm. oh, I've got to do this activity. I've got to do this thing. Reverse engineer it. What's the end result look like? how do you get there? And with a presentation, because you need to leave people with that key message. Because yes. my whole thing is about being able to present a message that matters. The way you can deliver that is through a structure that other people can pick up and take. And if they walk away remembering those three points from that presentation, then you've done your job because you need to think for the audience, what's in it for them? Why are they yes. listening? Why do they yes. care? Why yes. are they here? And then if you can do all of that and give them you know, those nuggets of gold and but you've delivered it in a way that is both educational entertaining and appeals to everyone watching and you've done your duty
0: yes it's so good Mm. do you ever get imposter syndrome
1: every bloody day (laughs) (laughs) every
0: day no way this guy no way
1: no sometimes i wake up and i'm like my god do i know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing i can't handle that task i've got no idea but it is once again thinking about it strategically you need to break it down. You need to think, okay, how, what's the end result going to be? How do we get there? I always have to calm myself down and think, no, 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 I'm here for a reason. I've done the work. I know what I'm doing.
0: Having confidence in your own ability, having confidence yeah. that you've done the preparation, having confidence that you have a place in the room, that you've earned yeah. your place in the room or on yeah. the stage.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. I think I spoke at my you know, very, very first sort of big event. When I was twenty-seven, this is how I even got into the speaking space. I got invited to speak at a conference in New Zealand when I was working at the university, and I was like, "Oh, cool! That that's really fun." You know, <laughs> flights and accommodation, all that stuff paid for. Thanks. Yeah, like, let's go Wellington. And I got there, and there were thousands of people, thousands. And you know, when I got up on stage, I thought, "Oh no! Like these people have to listen to me. They don't. I have nothing. Oh no, nothing good to share." But um, I did all the work that I that we'd spoke about all the preparation and thought, no, I have heaps of value to share. Of course, I've got something useful. And if, if not, then this is 20 minutes of my life that I've lived and everyone else will get to enjoy as well.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> Yes, that's a good perspective. I think, like, when I have been in those moments of imposter syndrome and the doubt and everything, it's like I have not had that perspective where I'm like it's literally only 20 minutes mm-hmm. or 10 or 15 or whatever it is. Whatever it You're is, like, yeah. no, it's the biggest thing in the world. I'm the center of the world. Yada yada. It's like it's not it's not the Mm -hmm. case. I would call you a tall poppy. I love tall poppies. I mm-hmm. want to celebrate tall poppies. I think everyone I've had on this podcast, in my view, is a tall poppy. But tall poppies can attract the haters. We call it a syndrome. Yeah. Like it's some disease to be a tall poppy and amazing and brilliant and confident and creative and put yourself out there, especially you know, in our Australian culture where tall poppy syndrome is rife. So I wanted to ask you whether you have ever – been the subject or the victim of this <laughs> of this disease
1: <laughs> absolutely and I find it happens more regularly with people that I studied with so yes right? When nominated for an award or sharing or winning it, whatever, I'd share it on my socials. I'm like, you know what, LinkedIn, you're going to get a little blast. Between all the stuff I share as educational content, I'll share a little bit about myself as well. And that is, you know, really excited to have won or nominated for this. Yeah, totally. Nominated for this or won this, whatever. And then you see some of the, the comments come through and it's either the generic congratulations, but then you might see, you know, someone from uni pop up and say, you don't deserve to win that.
0: Well, people comment that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't deserve that.
0: Whoa. Didn't deserve it at all.
1: Or you'd see, like, the views on your profile. Yes. People who are in a particular friendship group would all be yes. looking at you. So, you know, oh, okay, so they're talking about me. That's fine. On Facebook, if I would share the same content on there, that's where the bloodbath would happen. You'd get the people that, you know, you haven't spoken to for, like, three years who would, be, who would say, oh, you probably nominated yourself. Oh. Probably just just nominate yourself. I'm like, well, maybe, or who'd you pay to win that one? That type of stuff.
0: Oh, that is tall poppy syndrome Mm -hmm. action, isn't it?
1: Mm. And then, you know, if featured in a publication about said award, you'd then see those people comment on publications, like the publication's Facebook page and stuff. And then I can see it. I'm going to reply. I'll call you out on it. I have no shame in that. I'm like, look, (laughs) you know. I won. Thanks. Yeah. Get over it.
0: Do you think these same people would have these conversations with you face-to-face? No. Or do they say hello no to oh, you in the street?
1: Oh, I think so many people have dispersed, so I think the the joy is they're not going to bump into me in the street. And if they were to return to Hobart for like a holiday, Christmas, whatever, we'll probably bump into each other and I'll probably walk past them because don't need that in my life.
0: Yeah. That's basic behavior, isn't it?
1: It is basic like, behavior. I'm not yeah. about that.
0: Neither am I. I want to make it uncool. (laughs) I want my friends and followers and my connections (laughs) to be the tall poppies and I want to support each other and celebrate our success and success doesn't halve when you share it and multiplies. It's so true.
1: Exactly. Even if you're going for
0: a promotion in the same organisation or something, it's like... Mm work harder next time or move on or learn, grow from whatever that experience is and whatever that insecurity is that that person's success is triggering in you. We really need to examine ourselves when we are feeling these, this comparisonitis. Yeah. This is another question that I just would love to get your perspective on. Sure. Is law about who you know or what you know?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I think it's, I think it's a collection of both.
0: Mm.
1: I think who you know can absolutely assist you in getting a look in for an opportunity, but it's what you know and how you position and communicate what you know that can get you to the opportunity. I've I've been pretty fortunate in, I've been offered jobs um, from other organizations. I've known no one in there. I've known absolutely no one. I've been, you know, headhunted before. I've had people speak to me because they've seen me and I don't know anyone Mm -hmm. there and that's mm-hmm. it. And that's just my journey. And I think, you know, my presence on LinkedIn maybe helps with that to say, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a public profile, he's he's doing all these types of things, that work is relevant to what we do. And I don't know anyone there. But I think, of course, there are going to be people who know others, and that can help them get to an opportunity. I know, you know, some companies have referral bonuses. You If you say that you know someone and they can say that they referred a candidate, they get money. Mm. So the who you know aspect for a big company or a (laughs) tech company in that tech space, that works for them because then they get maybe $5,000. I think it is an interesting one. I think law is always viewed as a space where, well, you have to know people, and if you don't know them, then you're not going to get a job. Yeah. And networking is such an important skill. Yes. And being able to say, oh, yeah, I know the managing partner there. I know the general counsel here can hopefully get you a bit of a look in but at the end of the day there are HR processes that need to be followed and sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes you can't really avoid them I think no, it does depend on
0: but I think that is interesting though if you're considering about is law who you know or what you know and the who mm. you know these days it's not just who you know personally or it is who you know online and those connections that you have can be just as valuable when a new employer is looking at you
1: yeah yeah mm. absolutely
0: as your (laughs) 5,000 connections and followers attest to. Um, Last two questions. What advice do you have for others rising up the ranks and who want to be an in-house superstar with the side hustle and the the big, big speaking gig all over the world?
1: I think advice I received and advice I love to give people is say yes to opportunities that align with where you want to be. I've been super fortunate in that I've been approached to be part of and do work with the Association of Corporate Counsel Australia. And I think almost every time a new opportunity within that comes up, I say yes. Like I'm still on their board. I'm Tasmanian individual president. I'm chair of the sole legal officer network. Uh, I head up some other internal committees. I love that. When I I was thinking about moving into the tourism sector, I was also given an opportunity to be on the board of Business Events Tasmania. So I got to understand what that organization does and how that interacts with the tourism sector. So I think saying yes to things, saying yes to opportunities that really align with your values, really align with where you see yourself going, work tasks that you think might be really hard, saying yes to those will only help you move yes. to the next phase.
0: And is there anything that you wish you could tell your law student self?
1: Oof, if I could tell my law student self anything. It's actually a lesson I learned earlier this year, and that is not everyone's going to like you, and mm. that's okay, because you don't need to yes. be for everyone. You absolutely do not need to be for everyone. What you are and who you are is not defined by other people's opinions. And I think that took me it took me a while to realize that. And I mean, it's a little bit of a story to this point as to how it came about but please do uh, so,
0: go go tell us
1: oh, do you want to- <laughs> no, <laughs> sure.
0: please do. i've had the same realization this year mm. i spoke about it in episode seven
1: yeah i mean for me i was at a speaking engagement and i presented to a group of people who were brought in like different organizations so they coordinated like a, a breakfast meeting and i presented my keynote in a workshop format craft messages that matter and the people in the audience they were looking at me and i just I just saw hate. I saw hate in their face. And what? then, yeah, they just just like grimacing and anger. How dare and I thought, he? I'm just presenting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get it. I was very confused. Like, some people, I got a feedback form. I got a feedback form yes. from everyone. And the organizer said, Yeah, look, some good feedback, but most of it's not that great. I thought, Oh my gosh, what happened? And I read it. And then people said, he, he was sexist, he was racist. And I thought, What? How did you get any of that content from my talk? I was so surprised. I was really hurt by it. I had a friend who was in the audience, and I asked her, I said, Look, was I racist or sexist in any way? And she said, No. No, what are you talking about? I did the same presentation an hour after I got that feedback, and I was quite rattled. And I was only I was only meant to talk to them for about forty five minutes, but they kept me there for three hours because they wanted to keep asking questions and engage with the content. And I asked them, "Look, this is going to sound weird, but was anything did anything, anything I say was it sexist or racist or offensive?" And they looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" Where did you get this from? And I thought, I don't know. But some people <laughs> yesterday thought I was that. And then I realized there was a particular segment of people there that don't like me. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Because they're not my target our audience. They're not my clients. They're not the people I'm going to work with. Yes. And now I know. And for yes. some reason, they interpreted everything I said in a, like a, a really weird way. Yes.
0: Yes, I've had that same thing happen. Also, I, I think it. when people have like are given the opportunity for anonymous feedback, people really go to town on it. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes they don't real. I mean, I think you can do that when there's literally no accountability. You can write whatever you want and it's like there's no accountability there. They don't have to say it to your face. No one knows what it is. It's tough. When I was teaching many years ago, some of the feedback was on my seminars is that I never went through the textbook and I never went through the textbook problems. And I was like, That's literally all I did, every single class. (laughs) (laughs) And I had slides up the top and we had the questions on it. And I was like, what is this? Like clearly you didn't love. And then some people were like, oh, this was rubbish. Her classes were so bad. She didn't know what she was talking about. But then all of my classes were pretty full. And they were actually full sometimes with people from other classes that weren't even enrolled in mine. And I was just like, yes, come on in. So it's like you can be but it's that that feedback it really kills you it bites you because you're putting yourself out there and you care and it's yeah. like that passion is like sometimes what people love and yeah. they really vibe with and then other people are just like hate it or they feel threatened by it or they think who is he who is she yeah, yeah. i, I don't understand it. To someone so young or someone so like this or that
1: yeah yeah it's it's a weird world but once you realize that it doesn't matter it yeah. actually doesn't matter yes. you're not for everyone and you're not going to be yes you're fine so yes take that lesson on and take and just yes, take it with please. you yep.
0: yes please <laughs> I would give that to myself that same advice Theo that was a brilliant note to end on I've loved every second of this chat I'm going to engage with your content and I'm going to look forward to the opportunity we can collaborate again or I can meet you in real life so thank you so much
1: thank you this has been awesome
0: what a terrific conversation. I realize in hindsight that this was actually the start of a lovely friendship between Theo and I. Just like me, He is doing his best and just like me, he's trying to do it all. I would be so grateful if you would please share this episode with someone that you work with who may benefit from either some tips on public speaking or someone who just needs a fresh perspective on managing their legal career. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you.